The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 20 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week, I sit down with the great Rich Redman. Rich has been playing drums with country superstar Jason Aldean for over 20 years. He's been with him since the very beginning. Um, he also has extensive resume outside of that as a, as a session drummer, a band leader, a songwriter, a producer, uh, author, public speaker. He's gotten into some acting. He's a great clinician, fabulous educator, and he's just a downright badass person. So this was a fun hang. I joked with him a few weeks ago. He's the anti-gear guy, so of course I've got to get him on the show that's all about gear. Um, he's not really an anti-gear guy. He's just a, a little bit more of a utilitarian, functional approach to the process, which I really appreciate. So we talk a lot about you know, being a session drummer in Nashville, um, being you know between LA and Nashville, touring, getting back into it, um, some of his go-to drums for recording, his live setup, um, and then we just kind of go off on various tangents. So this is a really fun one. Uh, Rich is one of my favorite people. I think it's easy to see why he is very hireable, uh, very enthusiastic, very supportive, very authentic. I often forget that this dude goes out and plays in front of tens of thousands of people uh, several times a week. He's just that cool and down to earth. So let's get to it. Rich Rebin. Uh, okay. First now, do you question. use the video or no? Yes, we will use the video. Okay. <laughs> You need to stop for hair and makeup. You no, good? thank God I got a tan and thank God I got my hair done and the whole deal. You know? <laughs> what is a Nashville drummer doing in Los Angeles? How'd you end up over there? Oh man. Yeah, dude. It's, it's good to see you, man. Um, man, I've been coming here. I've been coming to Los Angeles. I've always had a love affair with Los Angeles. Um, and it's so funny. It's like Los Angeles, but everybody says Los Angeles, you know, it's mm, right, right, right. Thing that I've noticed. It's, I don't know. It just comes off the tongue easier. Um, but it just always kind of had a love affair with it. And I, you know, I got drums here like years ago and I would come and I'd just go to open mics and do the Viper, do the whiskey, you know, try to meet folks to play the hotel cafe at a little practice room, had places where I can record. And, um, now, and of course for the last three years, I've had a girlfriend out here and she's, uh, wonderful and so i come out so like i'm on tour right now and thank god you know after like i don't know what it was 15 months or something of 20 years of seeing my best friends you know 270 days a year if not more and then all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out from under your feet and you're like well who am i you lose your sense of identity it's like so now i'm back on the road with my band but the way we record in Nash, uh, we're touring Nashville is like we're gone. We, like we're doing like 36 shows in 90 days, which means like every Sunday through Wednesday, I kind of I'm off and have time to play with. So whenever we're on the West Coast, uh, we're doing like a West Coast run. Management will just fly me either to Nashville or Los Angeles. So it's been great. So this whole month, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm in town so I can get my, you know, my taco fix and my sun vitamin D sunshine fix and you know run around the, with the palm trees and so it's man it's just it's been great so you'll be back in nashville as a home base after this run or do you how do you gauge when you're going to be in nashville yeah, it's just, yeah it's just like tetris you know I, I you know i tell everybody like you know go to where the work is you know go to where wherever the work is go to that prioritize that and so october i'll spend more time um in in, in nashville on those monday tuesdays and wednesdays and that's been fine because i moved back into my home. I sold a condo on Music Row 
reacquired my home, kicked out my renters and, and went out to the burbs, you know, in Brentwood, Tennessee. And, you know, I've been painting the place and putting in new toilets and all that home cleaning the garage and all that stuff. And of course my studio is like one of those places where it's like, okay, we got to paint the entire house. It's a huge job. Everything ends up in the studio. So mm-hmm. my studio is in total shambles right now, but um, my longtime drum tech friend, John Hall, He's also my studio manager, is the engineer. So we're going to rewire everything, reset everything up and kind of use Fork's um, drum closet as a model. It's like I've been going there for like 25 years. And every time I would go to Fork's, it would be set up in some new, exciting way to maximize space. Like there'd be drums like hanging from the ceilings or stacked. And so we're just going to like do that and make it t- totally clean. Nice. So how Tight. do you work in yeah. session work amidst touring? Well, those Monday, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you know, I'll just do a little, um, you know, I have relationships, you know, people that say, Hey, I want to like do the home studio thing. It's like, great. It's like, you know, you're in Fargo, you know, and, and you have all the right gear, but if you don't have the relationships with the songwriters or the artists or the producers or the composers, you're going to be, you know, by yourself playing music Mm -hmm. by yourself, which is nothing wrong with that. Um, but from all these years, just, you know, establishing relationships with these type of people that are going to hire you. I'll just like put up the signal like, Hey, I'm going to be available like this, these six days in the month. And then I'll try to front load it and just like maybe do, I'll do 10 tracks one day and, and knock it all out. And then when I'm on the West coast, I'll either use like Blair Sinta's room or um, maybe Mark Shulman's room in Venice, you know, again, a relationship thing where it's like, Hey, can I use your room? And I'll give you a taste of the profits. And it's, it's, it's really great, man. I love recording at Blair's. He's got a, you've had him on the show. And of course mm-hmm. he's got a great workflow. I mean, great collection of drums and he really knows what he's doing. Man, it's very impressive. So how often are you in the, the quote unquote pro rooms anymore? Well, in Nashville, um, we've got soundstage, backstage, Ronnie's Place, Sound Emporium, Sound Kitchen, Blackbird, Treasure Isle, Addiction. I mean, there's a laundry list of like rooms that are still rocking. And I think that more than and then a lot of cities, definitely, I think more than New York City, because I... You know, I talk to my old friends. They're like, "Oh, yeah, that's an H and M now, or that beautiful studio. Yeah. They, that, yeah. you know, that's a you know, uh, you know, it's like CBGB's being a John Barbados store. It's like there's <laughs> that kind of crazy stuff they call progress. But Nashville is still holding pretty tough. You know, we have those Music Row rooms that are are still in business, which is really fun. And so we have, you know, the drum paradises of the world. You know, our friend Harry McCarthy that, you know, will cart everybody up in the box truck and the lift gate drops and your rug is marked and you show up with your cup of coffee and you're pretty much kind of ready to go, which is a very exciting thing. I think that's kind of happening in Los Angeles. I mean, there's still the NRGs and the Hensons and Capital and, you know, fingers crossed, you know, I have my drums all carted up over here at Angel City and I'm just waiting for, you know, Seth MacFarlane to call me one day and say, you know, Erskine's sick, but no, that's not going to happen probably because <laughs> there's probably 10 other jazzers in front of me. But, um, you know, it's like build it and they will come. It's kind of like that philosophy of like be prepared for anything and then do the right things in life. And hopefully these little, these little calls will come, but but also there's just tons of tons of home studios and every drummer is expected to have a room now, right. you know, um, you know, in Nashville, while my studio is an absolute mess, I go to my friend, Tony Mora's house, like Tony Mora played with all these huge, like contemporary Christian artists. And he, he did some, some country pop stuff, but he was literally the first guy in Nashville to, to, 
float the floors in his garage mm. and like really get some high end gear as a trained engineer. And his sounds are just like world class, insane sounds. And I just go over to Tony's, bring him a Starbucks, and we say, like, We're gonna knock out five songs today. And we just boom, boom, boom. And it's cool being produced by a drummer. That's what's always so cool is when you work with other drummers, like Blair's like, I don't know. I don't know about the pitch on that snare drum. Let's bring it up a little bit. And then we bring up the pitch. He's like, ah, no, that's the wrong drum. Let's put another drum up there. And Tony's the same way. Um, but of course, to all the gearheads out there, you know, you, you put up, a, you know, the Chris Hewer hit maker or you pull up a, a six and a half black beauty and it's pretty much up there the whole time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So are you not into like engineering and all that nerdy stuff? I don't think you are, right? I, I wish I was, you know, I, I really need to be, but I'm just like so on the move. And with this schedule of trying to get all this stuff done is like, where is this self-education going to take place of me sucking at something for a long, long time? Like I said, when you would do one of those days where it's like, I got to track out, I got to crank out 10 songs today. If I'm trying to learn all the new plugins and shortcuts and listening to play, uh, doing the whole thing, file management, I can't do that in a day, you mm-hmm. know? So I went more with, I think, like the Aronoff approach, which is like have an engineer and just crank yeah. it, you know, and, try, and try to keep these both, try to keep both these fires lit, you know, um, but massive respect to the folks that, I mean, God, if I had to go do it all over again, maybe I, you go to school, you know, you go to SEE or something and you learn how to be an engineer. Of course, I think most kids today are just going to YouTube University, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's a good the problem is there's no curriculum on, on at YouTube University. You know, you <laughs> open up one video and the next thing you know, you're learning how to get an Alex Van Halen drum sound. Next thing. Oh, my God. There, <laughs> um, there's um, there's a virtual Donati lesson on double bass. Like, I know it's ADD heaven yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think there's a good good lesson there of you know know what you can do and be efficient and don't be afraid to ask for help or hire someone to to do the part that you just don't really have time or, or the energy yeah. to do like, surround I yourself try, try to hoard it. i think drummers we tend to like i'll hoard it i want to do it all i want to do i'll be my own drum tech that's the way i think but I think oh, I'd yeah. Well, you do a good job. Um, yeah. Why not get somebody in there to help you that you know that you know will do it right, right? So is that does that get you in the mode of performing quicker? Is that the kind of the objective of I'd show up and play and not have to worry about everything else? Yeah, I mean, really, really, it's like people will send me the wave files, the MP3s, and I'll create it my cheat chart and I'll learn what they're looking for vibe wise. I try to get the most information humanly possible from them. Create the charts. Um, you know, then we'll select the appropriate drums, the, the click starts going, and then you're like, boom, it's like, I'm using that side of my brain. This is like, this is what I'm used to doing in the big rooms anyways, which is executing, trying to bring someone's vision to life, you know, in a, in a short period of time. So, so nothing really changes for me. And then it's like, all right, let's overdub the, uh, or then, then we'll send the rough MP3 to the client. I make sure that they're available at a specific time. They go, yeah, I love it. Oh man, I never would have thought of that choice. That's really cool. Um, but on the bridge, can you go to the thumpa thumpa ride the you know floor tom thing as opposed to the bell of the cymbal? And then you'll do that again so that they'll have the two takes. And then I'll say, how about some you know tambor sh- sh- you know shaker tambourine? And then on the verse, I'll do this little weird hand drum thing. We'll lo-fi it, and they're like, oh wow, you know. And it's like they're so happy, you know. You just that's the whole thing is just like trying to bring someone's vision to life and make them happy. 
change their life and, and, you know, bring that song to life. And then hopefully they'll remember, Oh my God, that was such a pleasant experience. And they'll call you again. Yeah. You know? What is your uh, current touring rig? Has it changed since pre COVID or are you rolling with the same setup? Yeah, I'm rolling with the, I, you know, the one thing you don't want to necessarily uh, pro drummers want to do after COVID is hit all their companies up for fresh gear because they're just struggling right now. Right, I mean, it has right. been really, really rough. And so my recent kit that I've had for, it just seems like a year, but I think it's been like three years. A couple of tours is this Darth Vader black matte DW collector's kit in big, you know, Boomba Boomba sizes, 13, 16, 18, 24. And it's just the sexiest, most beautiful, masculine looking set of drums I've ever had in my life. You know, I like to stay in that category, you know, black, black sparkle, red red sparkle black and red sparkle you know mm. i'm not like a i'm you're never gonna see me playing like a lime green kid or bright yellow it's just <laughs> you know does, but, your, uh, does yeah. your studio kit kind of fall into that same category big and boomy or is it that ever changing yeah you know in the studio i've got the i've got like a nice a lot of the stuff's available you know i got the 74 ludwig pro beats i got the green vista lights um and then i've got like a little dw bebop kit and then i have the standard collectors 12 16 18 got a couple of different bass drums muted wide open mm -hmm. but the kit that seems to just get the most action and people are probably going to be like wow that's crazy a, a budget kit is the um the DW, it's like a cherry red performance series kit. Like their mm. performance series drums, it's like affordable. You can get like a couple of shells for like two grand or something, but they sing and there's like this high end attack. It just works great for me. And so a lot of time that kit is, you know, ready to go. I even I picked up some recording customs. I haven't, uh, there was this rock producer that Johnny uh, was working with and he's like, he, this guy's trying to get rid of like a full set of like 80s recording customs for like, 1800 bucks i was like i'll take them you know <laughs> so i can't wait to set those suckers up <laughs> what is your live snare it is um it's like a dw it's like a black beauty copy dw's mm -hmm. version of of that whole thing and in a, in a five and a half and i know that everyone loves like six and a half drums because they're more throatier and stuff but i am literally like most 90 percent of drummers so short that if you when i when i put the six and a half on there you'd have to adjust your throne a little bit mm. you know to come up a little bit higher and i'm actually like a low rider like i go almost as like tommy aldridge like as low as the throne will go and i've been using one of those porter and davies um things now for like god like eight years yeah they're great um one of the first versions of them and not the most comfortable throne but they are unbeatable as far as like zero latency so comfortable it's like it's like an, it really is an amazing product because it's just two guys in a lab in england just <laughs> making our butts happy man <laughs> i use one in the studio it keeps me from oh, overplaying yeah, the bass drum oh wow okay that's smart it's like yeah, i don't have, I like I feel like do I don't have to hit it so hard or have, don't have to turn my inners up so loud just to hear the kick <clears throat> I don't know, yeah the i've that on the, on the studio choice, just but... <laughs> oh yeah yeah i I've, I've had to work on um you know, I get a lot of flack for people who are like, oh, my God, those poor symbols, you know. But I think like live, it just has come from like just this like there's like two iterations of the Jason Aldean band. There was like the first decade, which was like a bunch of guys with wallet chains and, and just trying to like prove something to the world. And was like, rather than take a drum solo, you know, and I have a 
24 inch ride symbol that was like a dragon breathing ah, fire and like the chi- just it, we were dangerous you know and then as things moved on uh, so i was like leaning into things and now things are more we've got these 20 nine songs that are are hits and you got to put them in we're leaving number one songs out of the show which is like what and then just having that nice sound and going out there with our black shirts and just playing it down like a human jukebox it's it's just more refined and and you know it's more bougie now and it's nice so i've learned to come off this you know the symbols a little bit because we got we're, we have less to prove, you know, it's not like we want to mail it in, but it's not like a bunch of guys and they're like, like, ah, you know, so it's another phase of the Jason Aldean band. You know, what is the symbol setup currently? Oh, my Sabians, my Sabians. Oh my God. Um, great, great symbols. Um, I've been using 15s for so long. 15. Oh, these are 16s. I have two sets of 16s because I have an X hat over here on the right. So you can like high stick and be an, a Liberty DeVito entertainer type guy, but still get that color um, on the cable. So they're like 16 inch AA acceleration hats, you know, which are really dark and they sit in the mix really nice. So front of house guy, um, our front of house guy, Chris Stevens loves that. And then two 20 inch crashes, um, AAF, X explosions and then always the Chad Smith Holy China, which I feel like is literally the best China ever invented because it's like a burst of energy and it just gets out of the way. It's not like, <laughs> you know, it's just boom, you know, color. And then the ride symbol has changed over the years. I've used 20 inch evolutions, I've used 24 inch AA rock rides that were just like ping, 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 clang, clang. And then there was a bash ride that, that they were kind of promoting for a while that had like a built in compression to it. And then right now I'm using a kind of a version of a legacy ride, but I went up to with Mark Love and we hammered it all out. And I was like, I'm looking for the perfect ride symbol. He's like, I've heard this before, you know, <laughs> perfect bell that you could, you could like clang, clang on Mickey Curry, so that you could tip it with the stick and kick a big band, but, and still have definition shoulder crash and then ride the edge. Like you're on the, on a warp tour or something. And, and we kind of did it. And yeah. also <laughs> and I was even talking about maybe, maybe making like a mass market version of that. So I'm just, you know, I don't know if there are any companies in that headspace right now, but I'm just going to keep riding them about it. What size you know? is it? It's like a 21. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> Now, do you carry those? 24 same? seems too big. You know, sometimes 22 is nice and it's kind of specialty. Um, 20 seems a little small for me these days. I don't know what when the trend was, but everyone has gone so big in the last mm. decade or so, you know. Do you carry the same symbols played, into the studio or is that a whole different setup? Um, 15 inch <clears throat> AA rock hats or 15 inch AA medium hats. And they're all kind of green from sweat and from pyro dust because I took them off the road and I took them in the studio. Same thing, two 20-inch AAX explosions. I'll use probably the evolution ride or some sort of a dryer ride. So I'll go between those depending on the amount of spread and wash I want. And then instead of a china, you do an ozone crash because it's more of like a marriage between like a crash symbol and a china got together on a first date. Someone swiped right. And there was a connection and it's just, it's, it's just really musical, you know, it's more musical. And if I want things to be even darker and vibier, I'll go to like HHX crashes, you know, and thank God, you know, um, you know, the, the, this, the guys out there that are listening, they're looking to create that, you know, relationship with a company. It's amazing when you settle on one and, 
and you have each other's back and you're like, oh, what's that new thing? Oh, the complex series. Oh, can I try those some 16 inch hats? And they're like, yeah. And it's a beautiful thing, man. It's so cool. You know, that ozone, is that the one that only has holes on half of it? Is that how that works? Yeah, or, or it goes around, but yeah, they're just a little, yeah. <laughs> a drum mouse got to it, you know. <laughs> Man, we got right into the, to the nerdy stuff. I didn't get a chance to ask yeah. you. <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you might be the first extroverted guest I've had on the show. Everyone else has been like, yeah, COVID was like nothing changed. It was the same old, same old. I never leave the house anyway. And I think you I are very that. much a social person. So how oh, it, it, it killed me, man. You know, I mean, you know, first of all, how, how lucky and fortunate I am and grateful to, to be able to travel, you know, the road isn't for everybody, man. I, I always thought, man, that is, it just resonated with me. I mean, my suitcase has been packed for, you know, 25 years now and, um, to do it with your best friends, you know, to have that experience on the road, to finish each other's sentences, to celebrate all these cool victories in life together. You know, you, you do that for 20 years and then you take one year or a year and a half and you say, you're not doing that. It really affects your everything, your identity, your psychologically, it was crazy. Of course I did a lot of flying, you know, I did a lot of flying, the two masks, the shield, the gloves. I mean, I was crazy because we didn't know much about this. It was like, are we going to have toilet paper? Are we going to have to eat each mm. other? You know, like what is <laughs> happening? And then, you know, are we can cannibal, cannibalize each other. Um, and then just jumping on all these flights to go, you know, cause I wanted to be out here with my girlfriend and, and do this thing together, kind of survive this thing together. Um, and, but I, you know, I, we, we did records for Lane Hardy on Hollywood records. He was this American idol guy. And this guy, Tim Montana, this is killer, like cowboy guy, but like hangs out with all these like, a-list actors and Dave Grohl's his best buddy. I mean, he, so we did his record and we did the recorded the 10th Aldean record and some guests things on the new Rascal Flatts record that's coming out. So I did a lot of flying. I mean, whoa. Um, and knock on wood, never got this thing, you know, <laughs> yeah, not but, but yeah, man, you know, uh, so but it was weird. It was, it was weird to like be locked up and not see, see people. I had a little, pod of people out here that I would see socially that were, were just as insane and rigorous as we were. And then the same kind of thing in Nashville had a little uh, pod there. Did you get into any non drumming activities to kind of keep yourself going? I used, you said you started running more. <clears throat> that I started running more and I was always been a runner. Like in college, I looked like Prince. I was like 145 pounds. I ran six miles a day without fail. And then somewhere along the line, I started getting more into like cross training. So doing your squats and all that kind of stuff, packed on a little bit more muscle. And then my weight goes up and down, depending on a lot of things, you know, travel, sleep, how much water I'm getting, you know, how much, how much libating I'm doing and socializing I'm doing. But um, I think finally at like 51 years old, I figured out like, you know, um, it's, it's, it's really like move more, eat less. I mean, that's my guitar player in my band, Jack. He's like height, weight proportionate. He's never been up and down and he's just like, move more, eat less. And so, um, recently going back to the amphitheaters, I make the amphitheater my gym. So like I'll do, um, you know, I've got a jump rope. I got a Bosu. I've got, um, Bowflex adjustable weights. I got bands and I'll do hill sprints and I'll run around the venue and, and just drop and do burpees. And it's just so fun. And I've made time for myself to do that every day. Whereas for a solid 12 years on tour, 
I would get up and I would go almost every day and do a clinic, a speech or a masterclass. And it was like, sometimes there was no time for myself. It's like, you get up, you go do that. And you're giving and giving and giving. It takes a lot of energy. Then you got to come back, shove some lunch down your face, do a, do a, um, a, a sound check and then break bread with my band shower. Then we go do an acoustic show where I play a cajon or a djembe or this LP box kit where I got a little pedal hooked up to it. It's so fun. And then we've got like an hour and a half to warm up and then we do the show. And it's just like groundhog day every day. Um, but coming out of this, I was just like, man, I am going to self care and I am going to make that a super priority. And I'm going to spend more time with the people in my life that are so important to me. And so it's like, I've been able to like break bread with my band every day and watch catch up on the news and like, God forbid, sit there together and watch a two hour movie in the front mm -hmm. lounge. It's been, and they noticed it. They noted like, you know, I, there's not as much money in the bank, you know, because I like going to do my clinics. It's like a fun, you know, makes a little side hustle. Um, but it's been very enriching. And then I was out here. I was like, I wrote a Ted talk, you know? So as soon as that comes back, I'm gonna, it's like all the things in life that drumming taught me about being a human being. So I'm going to do, do that. So I have a speaking coach and then I have, I took acting lessons, lessons for like nine months of COVID. That was like very demanding, very cool online lessons. Um, I designed two courses for Musicians Institute, online courses, and I taught for Musicians Institute, thanks to my friend, Stuart Jean, who runs the program there. So, I mean, I kept really, really busy and um, watched a lot of uh, Chuck Lorre productions because I'm a big fan of sitcoms. So I watched a lot of Mike and Molly mm. and um, <laughs> Two and a Half Men and, you know, uh, King of Queens and all the stuff, you know, huge fan of that. You know, what time of day do you run? Is it first thing in the morning or is it change? I love doing it on an empty stomach, you know, cause it's, you gets really bang for your buck. Um, but I'll just take it whenever I can get it, you know? Mm. All right. Let's get back into the nerdy stuff. Good to hear you're okay. Yes. You're happy and healthy. We're do happy. Do you yeah. carry a spare snare on the tour? Oh yeah. So from the back in the days of doing my own drum teching, which is probably the first eight years of Aldine Inc., um, you know, it was like, I had this toolbox with all my tools and the extra washers, second snare drum tuned exactly the same, all ready to go. And second set of pedals, same tension, all ready to go crash cymbals to be able to like, tell them a joke. Boom. I crack a cymbal and I'd have to go up there and put up, a, put up a new cymbal. Everything just taped down like crazy. Cause you know, I'm a hard hitter. Things move. You don't want that. Um, and then back in the day it was a nightmare with the, Sonar makes amazing drums, but they do have a tendency to come. You're slapping rim shots all night long and it would just detune. And I would have to constantly be tweaking that thing. And I don't know what the technology is with DW, but it's like, you've tuned that thing to what you want. We lock it with some lug locks. Never a problem. Stays at that exact pitch pretty much all night long. Sometimes the only thing you got to do is just kind of adjust the snare bed a little bit, you know, just because those will loosen up a little bit. So you just, yeah, just like pop, 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 get a little tweak when Jason's talking. That's it. It's amazing. How quickly? Are yes, you two swapping, of everything. Yeah. How often are you swapping drum heads? Um, I think John will change. I don't know how often he does the kick drum. Um, sometimes I look down at that kick drum. I don't know about you guys, but you, you got the flam slam on there, and I use a wood beater, and you see that you could see the head showing through yeah, the. I mean through that it. that to me says 
change it. Right. But, <laughs> but John's like, ah, ah, he knows exactly. Right. And when I was teching, I would write the date that I changed the head, like right in the grooves of the Remo, like nine, 10, mm. you know, mm-hmm. 20. And he knows, I think we do, I think we do a snare head every three shows, Tom heads every three shows. And then I don't know what he does with the bottom heads and the kick drum. Um, but yeah, change, you know, that's a secret thing is change your heads more often, your bottom heads more often than you think, because they're being put to the test too, because they're constantly vibrating and they kind of wear out. So once a month or so, maybe change your bottom heads. If you're playing, like we're playing, um, 12 shows a month, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's a two hour show where you're, you're hitting for two hours straight. It it could be a two hour show. We go with the philosophy of leave them wanting more. So we do 95 minutes. Mm, Okay. (laughs) And and a lot of these amphitheaters have a hard curfew, you know, um, at 11 PM and we go on at nine 20 or nine 25. So it's like cutting it really close, but, you know, Al Dean's show has always been, he's always wanted to provide tons of value. So you get like, you've got like a, a DJ, an opening act, a second opening act, and then us. So mm. it's a, it's a big bill, you know. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instrument, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. What is a snare head? Are you using the um, Emperor X? I use the Emperor X for so long and it is so durable um and and here's a trick for you guys that want to get that fleetwood mac kind of like thumpy drum sound on a six and a half drum and just want it to be a character use the emperor x you could put some gaff on there or some moon gels drum dots whatever experiment with that and then just let that thing sit there man it works perfectly for that but john and i started experimenting two or three years ago with the p77 Okay. Um, a Remo P77. And it seems to be just working great for us. And like I said, there's there really was two iterations of the Aldine. Like early to 10 years when we were doing the wallet chains and had something to prove, <laughs> the snare drum was like more cracked up. And now we're doing like this Phil Rudd thing that's just like, <laughs> and it just sits in the mix really nice. Took some getting used to, but it, I think it works best for our music now, you know. What is your most, let's say, what is your three most used snare drums in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in Nashville, it's the five and a half off the shelf, black beauty, the five and a half off the shelf, supraphonic, and the, maybe the five and a half off the shelf acrylate. So you've got the, the, the you got the, the, the hydro there of, of Ludwig. And, you know, I don't think DW would ever mind me saying that. Of course they have their versions of those things. I have the, the DW aluminum. I have the black beauty copy. I have all those things. And, and I'll use those more on the road because they're so roadworthy. You know, mm-hmm. the drums are so roadworthy. And then also I've got like a six and a half 
black off the shelf black beauty that's more generally tuned like for more of a bonham type sound just general use and then i've got one with the emperor x on it and the dots that is just ready to go for like damn the torpedoes mm. uh rumors just just ready to go so how do you have those three shallow drums set up different tuning more general use where it's just maybe like a little um duct tape cigar on the edge you know a little cigar like a little timing <laughs> to the real track railroad tracks mustache right thing and then you know depending on what room i'm in of course we record a lot we recorded these we've been recording for 25 years in a studio called treasure isle in nashville it's in this neighborhood called berry hill in uh in nashville and it's right next to blackbird and this place has been around since the 70s and like everyone has recorded there and what makes it so sexy is that there, there's there's these massive 30 foot ceilings, you know, it's like all wood, huge ceilings. So that snare is just like whap, you know. Um and and I and I've gotten to know what the engineer, Pete Coleman, is coming to expect from me to create a Jason Aldean record, you know, and he, you know, his claim to fame, he's a British guy, came to the States, moved to LA, did all the Blondie records, did all the Pat Benatar records, and he even recorded my Sharona mm. and I love the story of doing he did the knack record the way they recorded that record is basically there was such tight live, live band they went into a room no click track ran down their show and like that was the record no vocal <laughs> tuning no punching it was like what a great band you know that's killer how do yeah. you know I mean what do you start with you start with the black beauty do you start with the superphonic what is the I start process? with the generally tuned five and a half so the guys at drum paradise they know that <clears> it's <throat> like you know my kits uh, uh recording kits uh DW maple mahogany black and red sparkle hand painted by Louie um love the guy and and the drums are just huge I guess because in the early days I had this sonar kit that would look like something straight out of like a Bobby Blotzer, you know, rat video from like 1983. It was just like this giant, super 13 inch deep Tom 16, 18. I don't usually bring the 18. It's just collecting dust on the shelves. Um, but it's like 13, 16, 24, a little bit more shallow. Cause live for years, I would go 24 by 20. And this is like, a, I think a 24 by 18 or it could be a 24 by 16, but I love that shallow thing now. Mm -hmm. And that's what I have on the live kit, the Darth Vader kit. And then the, the uh, Black Beauty sitting there. And then when I'm doing any other studio in town other than Treasure Isle, the cymbals are down like Ringo. Two crashes, a ride down here, uh, and then a little ozone over to the left. Um, when I work with Pete Coleman, he likes the cymbals up high like in Dugu Chancellor. Mm, okay. He likes the ride way up there. And so these cymbals are, and so when I come in and I, and I work in that studio for that team with that engineer, the cymbals are way, way high because he just doesn't want the bleed. Um, and then he has me put a little bit of board tape under the bell of the hi-hats because that's a, like a bane of many engineers existence is hi-hat bleed into the snare drum. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really know if there's a way around it, you know? <clears throat> Does that work? I thought I never tried that. A little yeah, you just put, it just takes a little bit of the edge off, you know. On both symbols? On um, just the top. All right. I'll try yeah, that try today. it. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't answer my people question, are trying though. To create you've, got, you've got three yeah. Ludwig snares. You start with yep. the Black Beauty. When would you change to something else? When would you grab the Acrolyte or the Superphonic? Um... <clears throat> 
if I just want something different, like some, sometimes the engine, and you know, what's really frustrating is like when you're in a room that it's like the drum was just sounding like if God was a drummer and that was his snare drum, you know, and he's going to a gig and it's like, Oh my God, I can't beat this. This is perfect. And you go to another room and it's more of like a closet drum room or the ceilings are lower and that same drum just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And then, so, so for whatever reason, like, well, let me try to acrylate today. It's got a lot of throat. It's got a like mid, let me pull that up and you whack it. And the engineer goes, Oh, that's okay. Yeah. That's so it's, it could be a, like a trial and error thing, but anybody that's worked in the Nashville studios knows that like time is money big time. It's like, um, you just really have to know your gear and be able to pull up things. That's why I like the idea of, of, of having the character actor drums, which is like, this is good general reuse. This is good general use. You know, you can come up a little bit or down a little bit, drop the Richie ring on it, a piece of tape, typing paper, maybe one moon gel towards the edge, the, the two cigars or putting the, the, Alex Van Halen pattern. Like mm-hmm. there's so many different little tricks you can get to get a million different sounds out of one drum. So experiment with that stuff in your free time. So that when you go to work with other human beings, you're not holding up the session. You're like, you're in, you're the solution guys. Like, well, how about this? Well, how about this? Boom. Same thing with like, even like tambourines. Like I would, I bring like a slew of tambourines and most of the time it's going to come down to the, to like a Cyclops for fast stuff. It's going to go to like a Ludwig old school tambourine for like maybe like mid, mid things. And then the slower things, I've got like a Grover where I take the head off with a butter knife. And it's just like I had the tiger like just mm-hmm. ringing, you know. So and everything you do, try to think of, of, of having those different sonic solutions. And sometimes that producer, that engineer is going to come back to the first thing you pull up, but they just want to. I don't know. They want to see what else you got there. How can we beat it? You know, and sometimes it's that instinct and that instinct you have as a musician is going to always save the day um, in the studio by bringing a song to life, you know, having that intuition. That's why a lot of guys, there's guys in Nashville that are like demo guys. Like they play on demos like all the time. And maybe they sometimes they'll play on master recordings and then, the guys that play on the master recordings, they'll get this demo and be like, God, who played drums on this? This is like fully realized. This sounds fantastic. I don't have to change anything. And it's because those demo musicians are recording songs in 30 minutes and there's no time to overthink. It's like pick a kick drum pattern. This is the groove. You're going to do your studio friendly fills, shape the song, know when to drop out, know the genre. And then you get the demo and it's like, holy cow, maybe I could just put my little spin on this, but this thing is fully realized, you Mm -hmm. know? What about shakers? Do you take a whole bunch of shakers? Is that similar? Yeah, I think the best shaker, and my friends at DW are going to be so happy, and I've said it a million times, the best 20 bucks you'll ever spend is the LP soft shake. It's the two black cylinders Mm. with the red rubber bands that go around those things. Man, I got those things everywhere. I got them in cars, backpacks, <laughs> on the road, LA, Nashville. Like, and because they, I don't know what's in some strange organic beads they use or something, <laughs> but the way that thing sits on the microphone and the way it blends in a track is like, it's so hard to beat. But it's also cool to have your little, you know, chick singer, you know, eggs. And, and I never just hardly ever use one egg. I'll use like a fist of them, you know, and I'll make sure they're all different pitches. So I'll do that thing. Um, you know, same thing with maracas. Sometimes 
you want a tight sound with maracas where it's like very like this sounds more like Mick Jagger or somebody drunk playing the maracas and mm-hmm. so you want them kind of really and then other times I'll pick up like a rhythm tech um it's like this two-headed red thing on it it's got like a pole and it's just like super tight and super um articulate so if you wanted like you're doing like a florida georgia line kind of like you can get that effect you know and then if you want it to be kind of sloppy you can pick up the the maracas that you picked up in cancun at the airport that are all cheap you know (laughs) right right you know man this the clinic that you did i don't know it might have been two paces ago whenever it was that you did your it was like you did like an overdub session on stage you were playing the drums and you played maracas and shakers and all that your, your time control was was absolutely amazing so i want to oh, ask man, for you. some tips on developing time and consistency on drums and percussion and just in general what'd you do to yeah. develop that well we're so hard on ourselves now because we're looking at our time with waveforms and i know i know the last time we got together socially we were talking about like oh, i'm a millisecond ahead i'm a millisecond behind you know <laughs> it's like it's like, yeah, when you're playing with a loop, you want it to be as tight as humanly possible to save the editor, you know, frustration, right? And that's modern music. You're making music a lot with things that are very militant and they are perfect, right? Which is le- which is creating generations of drummers with really good time. But maybe they don't have the feel aspect of it. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. because really back in the day, the biggest compliment you ever got seventies, eighties, early nineties, man, this guy's got a great feel. Right. And now it's like, man, this guy was perfect with the click track. Right. Mm. So you want to be able to satisfy, satisfy those two things. You want to be able to look at your little red camera rhythm, watch red, green, red, green. So you get that thing in your body, right? And maybe the singer's talking to introduce the song and you're singing the chorus. God, God, one, two, three, and then you shut that thing off. And then maybe you check yourself on the bridge and you're Mm. like, oh, green, red, nice. You're having a good day. That's it. Then go back, listen to the recordings. Maybe you video video yourself. I videoed myself for like 15 years on the road. Put a lot of those videos on YouTube for whoever cares. I got like 500 videos on YouTube. And it's a great way also to promote yourself. Like someone to see like, this is what this guy looks like. It sounds like and everything when he's playing the drums and the camera's five feet away. Good thing to have a YouTube channel these days. Um, And then the other thing to do is to play is to work with something that's inhuman. So if you want to go old school, I would tell everybody buy like, an Alesis SR-16 drum machine and program, boom, you program a one-bar pattern and then you play along with that one-bar pattern and you make it so your drums sound exactly like the sample, so you're playing super tight with it. Then you can create a two-bar pattern. You could do the thing where you leave the space, and nothing. And that'll that that's really humbling, right? You'll just like want to quit. You know, mm-hmm. but that that's very helpful. And then another thing you could do to develop your time is literally just to play, play along with records from various eras and you'll feel the different time flows. 70s, things were very, very loose. It was humans that were probably mind altered at the time and playing music together right and then you go into the 80s and it's more like oh lynn drum machine perfect and then 90s you got the grunge and everybody's staring at their shoes but everything was like feeling good but things moved and then pro tools everything started getting all 
perfect again, you know, and, and you just work on these things. And as a percussionist, it's great because I love a percussionist is anyone that beats scrapes, rattles, or shakes anything. Right. So you can you scrape your chest hair, you can scrape your beard, you can have a salt shaker. And, and working on that stuff is cool. Turn on the radio, try to do 16ths with no accents on the tambourine, two and four accents, quarter note accents, upbeat accents, eighth note accents. Do your, your work on your little, you know, melon camp, you know, trills away from the mic and one shaker, two shakers. And as things get slower, like, dude, God, and you got a shaker, you have to use more motion to fill up that. So you can't just do it right here because you got to get the beads to move in the cavity of the instrument. So all worth exploring. You know, I think, I think there'll be more work for you and God, chick singers love it. When you go to the coffee house and you have your Remo 12 inch djembe and you've got brushes and rods and you can get your five or six different sounds with your fingers. Like I said, you don't have to be some Cuban Puerto Rican born African guy. You just go to guitar center and you get the thing and you got, you got your fist, you got the base of the hand, you have the meat of your hand, you have the edge, you've got a slap, you got a cup slap. You got six different sounds there to emulate loops, to emulate a drum set. Then you got your left hand could be the kick drum and you got a brush and it's a, it's so portable. You can do radio shows and showcases and acoustic things and just be open to those things. I mm. think you'll, you'll open your world up, you know? I, uh, I stole one of your tricks. I wonder if you still do this when you, you do your drum take, <clears throat> then you go right into overdubs and you just do the tambourine or shaker into the overheads. Do you still do that? Yeah. Yeah. That, Sometimes Johnny cool. will say, you know, it depends on the, the, the studio. They're like, Hey, just use that hi-hat mic, pull it over, or just use the left overhead or just split your space between the, the you know? Um, and then sometimes when I work with Johnny at my place, we'll go to a dedicated mic, like, mm. you know, so I'll come away from the drums. I got my music stand, boom, 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 you know, and you can adjust your mix a little bit like, Oh, let's turn the click down, crank the drums up a little. Let's drop that vocal. That vocal isn't very good. I still <laughs> want to hear it. Cause I want to hear the melody and I want to hear the story that's being told, but then you drop the vocal a little bit, you know, but you know, when you're setting up your cue mix, it's like, let's not make it all about me. You know, it's like you want to have everybody in there. You don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. Obviously, if it's a loop, you're going to have to have that loop cranked so you can lock with it. But at the same time, you want to know this melody story that's being told, the structure of the song. You want to be able to hear the phrases and the dynamics. And that means having everybody in the band pulled up, you know. Mm -hmm. All right. Switch gears a little bit. What do you believe are the most essential skills for a drummer or musician to perform at the highest level that you are at? Essential skills, man. Sounds like a old Steve Houghton book. Essential skills for, <laughs> I love Steve. I had the book, man. Probably not um, the Charleston. I think the Charleston kind of like, it became twerking, you know, you know, how <laughs> things evolved. I think that Charleston actually moved into the twerk, um, essential skills. Um, obviously you got to be able to be musical, which means getting a good sound on your instrument, no matter what the instrument is, backline studio kit, someone else's kit. You're playing the grand Ole Opry. You got 30 seconds to sit down on the drums play boom um to get a good sound so that starts with technique 
And then that turns into touch that turns into tone on your instrument. You take that with you. Um, and so you're getting a good sound on your instrument. You're, you have a musical mind. So shaping phrases, knowing how to play dynamics, what is stylistically appropriate in that genre, when to just show up and execute and then when to take risks, you know, like being able to read the room, which is very, very, you know, and that's kind of like a people skill. Um, and then the other thing is just the basics, like, being able to choose the right beat for the song, playing it in time and making it feel great. Um, and, uh, you know, taking care of yourself enough because we're an instrument bringing your A game to the table. So that means, you know, getting your rest and having enough water, being hydrated and, and, and just being showing up and being ready to accept um direction because as a drummer like unless you start the buddy rich band or you know your dave Grohl, it's like you're going to be taking direction from so many people so we're talking like a musical director on stage a band leader some input from your fellow bandmates the recording artist the people with the label might have something to say the songwriter the producer the engineer their entourage and it's like you just get whiplash from like mm -hmm. saying yes sir yes ma'am and being in the business of providing something and then as your career develops you were say you're like you it's rarefied air you get to the place where you're steve jordan and it's like this thing where it's like whatever steve wants to do you know mm -hmm. what i mean but that's such a rarefied place to be you know mm -hmm. um the majority of us are our, our work for hire. And the only thing you can really hope for is to, is to just be work for hire a lot, like mm -hmm. really consistently. So a musical mind, a great touch tone, flexibility. And then of course, just, you know, the drums are, are about that time groove and feel and that healing feeling, you know, every type night before I go out to play the drums, I talk to my higher power and I say, please give me the skills I need to make my band feel great. The skills I need to make my boss feel great. Please let me do my job for those people that came out and played their hard earned money. And then please let me enjoy myself and have fun because I've de dedicated 25 years of my life to not sleeping in my own bed. Mm -hmm. And you know, things have come and gone. Um, but yeah, 25, it's like, yeah, we, we've got to have fun doing this, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I asked for like a little, like the musician's prayer. It's like, please don't let me have a stomach ache. Please let me don't have to pee tonight. Please let me, you know, like, please, no problems. Like there was one year where I had like a, like a bulging hernia and it was like, mm. I didn't want to stop the tour to go get the surgery. So I said, God, can you please get me through these nine months without having a, my hernia getting all strangulated on stage and have a helicopter have to come and zip me off to the nearest hospital and woo, the power of prayer, man, it all worked out. And then the end of that year, I got that sucker fixed. And, uh, but yeah, yeah. I'm on team hernia too in college moving oh. to marimba. <laughs> oh, really? Was it, was it the groinal or the, oh yeah. The, the, oh yeah. So are you meshed up? Oh yeah. I got the mesh. I'm like a oh, transformer. <laughs> So similar question, but probably a, maybe a slightly different answer. What would Rich Redman need from someone to do a last minute sub? So we're assuming, you know, all the material. There's no question. You could play the instrument at a high level. You know, every Jason Aldean song. What would you need from someone to be like that guy or girl could do the gig? 
Oh, someone sub for me or sub for them? You subbing for you. Oh, on okay. Aldine show next week. Well, I do have a notebook that I put together. It's like for potential subs. That's got all the charts. Now this, this is where things get a little funny because I do a lot of like consulting for musicians that are like, I want to learn how you do your charting system, but they don't know how to read the basic rhythms out of the Ted Reed book. So Mm -hmm. without knowing how to read classical notation, you're not going to understand my charts because I'm able to take the guts of a song, intro verse, pre-chorus, chorus, turnaround, second verse, second chorus, solo breakdown, double chorus, tag, outro, outro tag. I'm able to condense the information I need into a little four by six Betty Crocker card. Mm. And I'll take that Betty Crocker card and I'll, and I have a system where I, I can attach it to my hi-hat stand, like right under the hi-hat stand where the little DW key like mm. sits. Okay. And then I have those little, little alien lights, you know, and they wrap around the hi-hat stand. No one knows I'm reading, right? So if there's a new song, say a new single comes out and it's like, we don't even really get to rehearse it. We run it at sound check. I've got the little chart there, there for maybe a, three nights until I can get that thing under my fingers. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I have a chart book for people based on my version of charting, which is a lot of information, but not a lot of information, not as much as say, like, I know you've talked to like guys like Kenny who writes out like the hi-hat part above yeah, and all the openings. Note, yeah. I just write kick, snare, you know, the patterns, where the crashes are, signature fills, signature builds, the guts of the song, right? Where I can nail everything I need to nail, but then there's also 2% available for me to be in the moment, like mm-hmm. a little jazz comes out, a um, little, little improv. Um, so, so that chart book is available for people hopefully they would be able to come up on the drums and they could adjust things. Right. So they would probably want to adjust the snare height and um, the snare angle, because I play mine like face. It's Mm. like very like Liberty, you know, from Phil Collins, like it's very angled. So they would probably change that. And so they would probably get a live recording. Um, The whole show is on pro tools. And so Johnny is now running pro tools behind me. So when I see the whites of everybody's eyes and they have their guitar changes and there's a guitar change on every song and we have figured it out how to do it so quickly, lights go dark, guitar changes are coming out. And then I go to, I get the whites of everybody's eyes and I go hit it. And then Johnny hits the count off on, which is usually a shaker. So our clicks are shakers like very friendly, very mm-hmm. musical, easy to play with. And then there's loops and stuff in there. So we don't have a lot of tracks. It's just like click drum loops mm-hmm. and the occasional like weird soft synth as our music has become more, you know, R and B influenced. There's more like soft synths mm-hmm. and stuff in there. And so, and then the person would have to probably have, of course, in-ear monitors or they'd have some direct sound headphones and they'd have to maybe request, uh, they'd either have to have my mix or they could have, hopefully have time to set up their own mix. But, you know, my drum set is the, at the root of it is just the Ringo kit. And then I've got the extra floor tom, the second hi-hat, a cowbell, an SPDSX on the left, which is used as a backup click. So the whole show mm. is saved in order. So I have a flow. I play the song. Boom. Thank you, everyone. Boom. Next song on the SPDSX. I'm watching for guitar changes. That would be a challenge. They would have to know, like, do not count this song off until everyone gives you the thumbs up or something. But I think if you were a good musician and you were 
skilled in the boom schmack. So mm -hmm. you're, you come from the school of Phil Rudd or knowing that that is what my band wants. Um, and you could read my charts or create your own, then you probably be able to do it. It you know? sounds pretty well prepared. So is, um, what's I going to ask about that? Do you record every night? I, I don't know if we archive every night. Um, I don't know. I should ask our front of house guy, but it just seems like he's always got stuff ready to go. He probably does because, um, whenever we have to, like take three months off or whatever, he'll like send us a, a link of the last show we did so we can dust it off. Ah, and yeah. yeah. And I usually will get a copy of like the video of the show from, you know, I, I love the show because it's, it's, we're like a recording band that's playing, trying to play with showmanship and youthful energy and, and be entertainers. I mean, I mean, our guitar players are tossing picks behind their back and playing with their teeth and down between their legs and their legs are on the monitors. I mean, these guys are, serious entertainers but doing it with the precision of a studio band you know mm -hmm. and not sitting in the within the chair with the glasses down at the end of the nose with the music stand so precision and showmanship um and we're being filmed like we're being filmed by moving camera guys i've got a i've got a a, a camera over my left my left shoulder i've got a camera over my ride symbol and i have a camera on my foot pedal and then I have a dedicated cameraman and, and I just totally ham it up with that mm. guy. They love it because the people in the grass and the cheap seats, sometimes that you, you need to really project that energy out there. So like, I'll give them a nice twirl or a tongue out or a, I'll do a, I'll point into the camera. <laughs> now, some people are think that stuff is cheesy, but Hey man, look at it, it worked for, um, you know, you better believe Tommy Lee's doing that stuff. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like, it's, it, it's the energy, it's showbiz, you know? Yeah. So, so That's we have wild. fun. So with you're, it. you're on camera the whole time. You better not pick your nose. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, it's, it's like a moth to a flame. I always know when exactly I'm on because the red light comes on the camera. <laughs> so I'll, sometimes I'll be doing a fill and I'm like, why didn't you get the, why wasn't the red light on the fill? That's the most exciting thing. And sometimes it takes like two weeks or whatever to get to know your cameraman. Cause I have a different cameraman every year or camera girl. And then you'll see that they, they'll lock in when they're supposed to, you know, get, and they'll do cool like pans and mm. stuff. It's like big production, man. And we got fire and cryo and pyro this year. So, um, at the end of like the song, burning it down, I've got giant big yarn mallets and I, and I'll stand up and then the flames come up with me. So it's like, this, this is like, it's like, it's like Ronnie James Dio stuff, man. <laughs> Sounds like a universal studios tour. It's pretty cool. It's so fun. Yeah. Where's, where's jaws. I mean, come on. <laughs> All right. Last question. What was your first snare drum? It was, um, a blue sparkle, no name drum. I wish I remember the brand, but I got it from, my first teacher, Jack Berge at the Jack Berkey at the Milford percussion and guitar workshop in Milford, Connecticut, and had an internal muffler and a little ambassador head. And I had my Gladstone practice pad and I was working on the Joel Rothman stuff. And, and Jack would write out things like, and then, you know, I added a bass drum and it's the same thing, used crappy bass drum, cracked cymbal. And I wish, I think when you're young, you don't realize you're like, you're going to want that someday. Because mm -hmm. we, how many of us 
get into a tight position for we need some cash and we sell our first drum. Sucks. Yeah, Did you keep yours? <clears throat> no. My well, I had my first real drum was an acrylite. I broke a lug. And then when I graduated high school, my dad was like, Do you want to keep this drum? Because I was moving away to go to college. Like I had to throw it away. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. It would have been like ten bucks to get a new lug. So I threw that away and then I sold my Pearl Export was my first real kit. Oh nice. Yeah, and I sold that for next to nothing, and then the guy I sold it to, like, the next week sold it for more money. I was like, you son of a... You could have called me first. I would have bought it back. (laughs) Yeah. My first kit was the Yamaha Stage Custom. Cherry red, 13, 14, 18, 24. I had my tuxedo bags, and I was so proud, man, just carrying those things around, just spit polishing a man and playing in bands at you know after school and doing the talent shows ah oh, it's been it's been a fun ride man so what is in this is literally the last question what's what's in store for the rest of the year you have any other plans or is it just happy to be yeah. touring and roll with oh it? i'm so happy oh my god it's so <laughs> fun to be going to catering and have coffee with my band <laughs> and everyone's everyone sounds so good it's just such a well-oiled machine and I mean, Jason has never canceled. I think maybe canceled a show one time. He's such a trooper, man. He never usually has problems with his voice. And if he does, he just ponies up and does the show, man. Mm. It's really impressive. Um, We do. It's a 36 dates in three months. And so we have what, three weeks left in September. We go all the way to the end of October, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, hopefully nothing's going to take the tour down with this, with the Delta stuff, but everybody, I mean, these have all been sold out shows. We're talking 18, 20, 22,000, 24,000 people out there just loving life, you know, just mm-hmm. starved for entertainment. And, and we're happy to, so happy to give it to them. So keep doing that. Um, you know, the weekdays are, you know, my little sessions and clinics and working on various things. And um, November, I'm very excited. I'm, um, I'm doing the my third clinic at the Percussive Arts Society. So on the first day of PASIC, PASIC um, is I'll be in the main ballroom from 5 to 6 p.m. And I'm going to do a clinic called Big Beats, Big Money. So nice. it's a it's kind of like more on like how you set up a how how you choose a groove and and what is what is feel and how do i play with a loop and let's talk about this overdub thing and how do i cultivate a career in this business and i'm going to deconstruct some number one songs and kind of a version of kind of what i always do but i'm bringing some new maybe insights into it because usually um things are based on either money beats or they're based on my crash philosophy for success in life and 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 i'm going right into some other some other concepts and different, different tracks that people haven't heard. I'm going to play along to a song that I wrote. So to kind of let people know like, Hey, this is something you can also do as well because um, you're going to want to write songs or co-write songs or get into lyrics or, you know, mm-hmm. it used to be, you did one thing in the music business and now you have to do everything, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm excited about that. And then Jason's 10th record is coming out. It's going to be a lot of tracks. We're going to celebrate. It's going to be, it's, I think it'll be like an expanded type record. And then hopefully last minute, all these shows will be coming in. We're doing like a rock and new year's Eve thing in Nashville with, there's going to be 50 acts on CBS. I think, I think it's going to be a CBS production, a three hour thing. And everyone's playing. I like Jason Blake, like 50 acts, Mm -hmm. which is a testament to, 
to Nashville and Music City because we celebrate music. Um, so that'll be really fun. Tenth record coming out. Hopefully, a lot of TV shows. You know, we'll be doing hopefully the GMAs and the Todays and the all those television shows. And hopefully, I think they're doing them in real per, real time again. I, mm-hmm. It's not Zoom anymore, like a Zoom pre-taped performance. <laughs> um, well, that's exciting. And I mean, before you know it, we're going to be like buying each other Christmas presents. Yeah. I don't know where the year went, you know? Well, I will see you in Indianapolis at the Percussive Arts Society convention. I can't I- wait. I'm so excited. And I'm only going to be there for the one day because we're doing like a Pandora event the very next morning in Nashville. Ooh. So like I got to just, well, I'll probably hop. I'll be doing some high fives. I don't know if I'm doing a lot of hugging. I, it's so hard not to hug people, but I'll be doing some high fives and then I got to drive five hours back to Nashville. Right on. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the show. Uh, I appreciate you. My God, I hope I, I, talk. <laughs> I hope we did. We cover gear because I know it's a gear thing. <laughs> yeah, we did. Thank you. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed the show with Rich. Hope you gleaned some uh, nice knowledge, pro tips, lots of pro tips hidden in this episode. And we'll, uh, you know, we'll be back at it next week. So please, if you haven't already, please drop a review over on iTunes wherever you get your podcasts. Five star review will help spread the word. If you feel like sharing the episode on Instagram or Facebook, I see those. Tag me. I'm much appreciated. Anything we do to get more drummers checking out the show, we want to build this community up, and I just keep it keep it growing. So thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week for episode 21. See you then.